This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Oh, hey! Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know, they're both good. (laughs) I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. (laughs) Oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you'd never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up a couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hey, 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 Labia love bugs. Welcome back. I'm so happy to be back in the lounge for some deep dive and chats with a very incredible woman today. And I'm really pumped because I think this is just such an important topic and quite misunderstood or at least just not very commonly understood anyway. Um, So we're here to discuss why the great pussy is so feared, why feminine power was so deliberately and strategically shut down, and how this fear of big pussy energy plays out for men and for women, how it impacts our relationships, and what to do about it now. So, you know, just business as usual here in the lounge, Um, and let me give you a little rundown on our guest because she's something special, I tell you. Tanishka is best known as Facebook's Moon Woman with half a fucking million followers of her daily guidance. Hot damn. What a bloody show off, hey? Half a mil. I reckon that's that's full-blown celebrity status. Um, she's passionate about creating social sustainability through teaching people how to understand and align with the effect of the natural cycles. An author of six books, she's taught ancient wisdom, traditions, and practices for more than two decades. As a leader in the global red tent movement, she has trained women in 44 countries to facilitate red tent women's circles as a community building initiative to support women during their most challenging time of the month. But I'm not even finished. A former stand-up comedian, she has captivated audiences around the world by decoding the greatest mystery of all time, the Holy Grail, from the perspective of the sacred feminine. 
In 2015, she created the 28-Day Happy Challenge, which was a not-for-profit project to raise funds, awareness, and support for women recovering from the trauma of human trafficking. And she's a popular keynote speaker worldwide. Her articles and interviews have been featured in leading women's magazines and health publications, and she also conducts online courses, speaking tours, and retreats. Far out, Brussels sprout. And did I mention she's written six books? Oh, my God. Hello, welcome you hot overachieving thang. Grab yourself a nice little soft clit cushion and get comfy, Tanishka. Yes, I think I belong in the over-functioning spectrum um, 12-step program just listening to that intro. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, wow. That's like that's a massive, massive list of accolades there. I'm really, yeah, I'm really humbled that you've joined me in the lounge after reading that, that bio. <laughs> Oh, look, any any lounge that's uh, got such a delectable name as Labia Lounge, I'm very happy to come in and take a seat. So thanks for having me. Hello, listeners. Uh, amazing. So pretty, pretty sort of beefy topics we've got on the cards today. Just to give everyone some background. <clears throat> so... Tanishka's latest book, The Grail, reveals how the Roman Empire outlawed, appropriated and distorted the mystic tradition of the Grail that previously had initiated men into the cyclic wisdom of the sacred feminine. Um, It talks about how our myths have been hijacked and how fear of the yoni or the dark feminine has impacted the world. And yeah, I'd pretty much just love to dive straight into this right off the bat. So firstly, could you speak a little bit on why storytelling is so important and how our myths and stories that used to be pretty, like they used to be so empowering and reverent of the feminine, like how they've been fucked with basically. <laughs> yeah, well, that's something I go into in detail um, in my um first sacred union book and speaking to the greco-roman mythology which was the mythos of the empire so you know when we learn about the myths in school it's like what a bunch of assholes these demigods were you know they (laughs) raped they abducted you know not the kind of role models that you'd want to necessarily you know emulate and yet they've been anchored their stories, like if we think about universe, one verse, one story, what we've had indoctrinated into our subconscious are these distorted myths that show us how to behave badly, mm-hmm. that set up expectations where, for instance, Demeter, the mother archetype, will end up raising her children alone, you know, without the support of her partner, Zeus. In fact, he will actively undermine her ability to parent. And then, you know, this being so anchored within the group mind, it becomes a part of our group mythos, our experience, our expectation. So we have lesser expectations of fathers than we do of mothers, for instance. And yet we wouldn't necessarily think to trace it back to this, you know, mythology So, or one of the things I speak about in the Grail book is the iconography of male-female that we see most used in Christianity is mother and son. Mm. 
Mm. not of two equals. So that sets up in the group mind, you know, that women mother their partners and that boys will be boys (laughs) rather than men, you, you know. So, yeah, we've really got to go to the roots and and question, oh, hang on a second, who said that this is this is true? You know, it's this cloak that's been put over the more ancient religion which had empowered mythologies, you know. So, yeah, reclaiming our story, like, you know, living here in Australia, the narrative at the moment is, you know, we should be ashamed as um, white people because of our privilege and therefore if we feel guilt and shame, we will accept punishment, yeah, because if we're holding shame, which is one of the most dense emotions someone can get stuck in, you magnetically attract to you punishment. So when we go, hang on a minute, that isn't my identity. I'm not taking that cloak of shame on. I'm. What is my cultural heritage? And reconnect with our ancestral roots and find pride in it. Don't just see ourselves as, oh, you know, I'm, I'm white and therefore I carry on my back the, the deeds done that hurt my beautiful brothers and sisters in other countries. You know what I mean? It's like so much of our cultural identity has been distorted to disempower us. So it's really important that we reclaim the full uh, mythos of who we are as interdimensional immortal beings that have worn the robes of many um, cultures in many incarnations And, um, yeah, that we don't diminish ourselves by defining ourselves through the perspective of the empire. Mm, Big combo stuff. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. Put me on the soapbox. (laughs) I mean, that's what what the podcast is here for, you know. Um, Hey, Babe Towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've seriously got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in, and there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and valuable content, thought-provoking conversations, and just general support from a community of labial legends. It's a safe, non-judgmental space where you can go to ask the questions that you can't ask anywhere else, seek advice or solidarity from other like-minded folk, tell stories that are usually too much for the average conversation, and also play a role in shaping the podcast with your input. So through this group, you can submit stories that you'd like me to read out for the TMI, Sand in My Clam, and Get Pregnant and Die segments. Um, and as well, you know, you can send in questions or topics that you would like covered on the potty. I'm always open to suggestions and input and you never know, you might hear your story on an episode. So my vision for the group is that it becomes a really rewarding, supportive, educational and hilarious resource for you to access and be a part of. So head over to the link in the show notes or just search up the Labia Lounge group on the old facey and I hope I see you in there. And now back to the episode. Just like so many beautiful stories or myths that I feel like have kind of 
yeah, either been bastardized or distorted or just are not in kind of common circulation anymore. Like if you dig for them, yeah, but we're not telling our children them. We're not, we're not passing down these beautiful um, stories of how, you know, the fishermen's wives used to flash their pussies at the ocean to, you know, make sure their husbands had a good catch that day or, you know, flashing their pussies at the field so that it would be an abundant harvest. Like there's there's so many stories. I mean, I don't know too many. I'm not deep in that world as you are. But, um, yeah, I'd love to hear if you have any, like, of your favourite little examples of really, I guess, feminine, uh, empowering, sort of body positive, yeah, like stories about women, ancient stories about women that actually sort of allude to our power and um, don't don't degrade us or, yeah. Do you have any sort of off the bat that you like to tell people about or, yeah, anything like that? I, I feel to introduce that subject rather than giving anecdotal examples, mm. um, to speak as to why the yoni that sacred opening between a woman's legs, the vulva is so feared. Mm. And because where there's fear, there's power, right? So if we want to understand a woman's power and why that was considered so threatening to those that sought to dominate, i.e. the empires that are still running the show today, yeah, the Roman Empire was the Nazi Empire, is the UN. It's all one and the same empire. It's just rebranding. Mm. And I, I speak to that in my Grail book and literally show the same iconog- uh, iconography used for all wow. of them, you know. Wow. And those are the only three entities that have sought complete world domination in the last astrological age, the last 2,000 years of the, the Piscean age. So now we're at the climactic point of that age and the yoni, that shape, that beautiful almond lozen shape that Christianity appropriated and put around Yeshua, who the Greeks named, renamed Jesus and put around Mother Mary, that's also known as the Vesica Pisces, the sacred doorway that you get when opposites come together in union. So you might know it as the Venn diagram or the mandala, but the two intersecting circles. And in ancient Egyptian mythology, you know, they referred to those two spheres of sacred feminine and masculine as the goddess Isis and the god Osiris. And the role of Isis was to actually help Osiris, the god, to piece together his psyche because the psyche is the inner realm of the feminine, the dark, the unseen. So we've been taught in the patriarchal times that dark is synonymous with evil. No, dark mm-hmm. is synonymous with great mystery. Yeah, the word Allah meant mystery, not some dude in sandals. Yeah, <laughs> it's like people used to honour the mystery of life, which is the feminine principle, the unknown. And it's because of our fear of change, our fear of the unknown, that the feminine, who is the agent of chaos, the necessary catalyst for change, in other words, where there is growth, there is the goddess saying, hey, honey, we need to talk, it's the end of the honeymoon, you know, or 
let's do things differently. She's the one that's always pushing for growth in that life, death, life cycle. So the yoni is like the herald of the death that is needed for the birth. It is the gateway, the portal of death and birth. So there is huge power in that, whether it's the, the, the bloody birthing of a child's head through the yoni. I remember my ex-husband saying that image was burned in his retinas for <laughs> weeks after the birth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I had him get down, put his third eye on my clitoris and just honour what my yoni had been through in that to bring through our child, you know. Mm. But what I was saying about the Egyptian mythology is the holy child, Horus, not to be confused with a whore, um, is that vesica Pisces. So we are all here to birth the sacred doorway within us, men and women. But this is that was the ancient symbol for the grail, the mandala. And, in fact, initiates of the grail, the ancient religion of love, which taught the wisdom of the cycles, which was feminine wisdom because it's women that journey 13 cycles a month with their menstruation, you know, so we accumulate grail wisdom in our wombs, which is why the Magdalens, the women who taught the grail, were the ones that would initiate men through their annual death and rebirth at the winter solstice because men's psyche is ruled by the sun, whereas women are ruled by the moon. So we go through a death psychologically and emotionally every month when we shed the uterine lining and that blood comes out of our our um, our yoni. And similarly, men go through their equivalent of menstruation once a year. So women would midwife men through that process. And men would um, bow to the yoni. They would bow to the power of the dark feminine, she that initiates him and catalyzes his ego death. So you'll see in a lot of the grail myths, this repeated reference to men being beheaded, you know, like the Green Knight, this movie that's come out and been totally distorted again. But the role of the sacred feminine is to catalyze an ego death, okay, so that the soul, that which is truly sustainable, can be dominant rather than the ego, which is the mind. So the yoni you know, what's happened to it is women are waxing her of all of her hair. They're, um, you know, cutting the lips so that they look diminutive like a prepubescent girl. They're literally trying to make their yoni less intimidating to uninitiated, immature men because they themselves are so confronted by the image of that sacred doorway of death and rebirth. So in the churches of old Europe and the Celts, they would have the goddess Sheila Nagig. You know, in Australia we have a colloquial term for a woman, Sheila. Hey, you're Mm. Sheila. And that comes from the goddess Sheila Nagig who literally... You can see images of her pulling back her labia and basically inviting people into the mysteries, yeah, come and be initiated. This is the doorway to the temple. 
And the early churches all had a shield and a gig at the entranceway. In fact, those Gothic-shaped church doors are a homage to the yoni. They're in the shape of the yoni. And you would have the equivalent of a clitoris at the top of the church door that everyone would touch. You'd literally high-five the clit on the way into the temple (laughs) in honour of the fact that the church was a replica of a woman's body. You were going into the yoni, into the vestibule, which represents the womb, and it was there you would receive initiation, except, you know, everything was appropriate and distorted. So instead of women doing the initiating, you had men wearing women's clothing, you know, frocked up as as patriarchal priests and all of those ancient grail rites were distorted into the sacraments of Roman Catholicism, which was the um, doctrine of the state so of Rome. So, you know, the yoni, the women today that, um, you know, have no idea why they might refer to their their vulva or their yoni as down there. They can't even name it, like Voldemort, you know. It's like because its power is so unexplored, they don't dare speak its name. Yeah, totally. It's sort of um, already touching on my next question, which was going to be about like, you know, so we've talked about why big pussy energy and the yoni is so feared but that I wanted to sort of like explore why, how how it plays out differently for men and women. So like, you know, it's not just something that affects, mm. um, yeah, men. It, it's sort of, yeah, I'd love you to elaborate a little bit on that if you could. Yeah. Well, okay. So if a woman is not comfortable connecting with the power of her yoni, so we can you know, through self-pleasure, we can move through uh, a lot of emotion, yeah, emotion that perhaps is taboo because in our social spaces today people are shamed if they have an emotional release. It's seen as a weakness and this is part of, you know, the um, internalized misogyny that we all carry from being indoctrinated into a patriarchal culture where all the traits and qualities of the feminine are devalued and the traits and qualities of the masculine are elevated in all of us, regardless of our physical gender or identity. So um, that impacts a woman's ability to connect with her primal power. So the archetypal energy that governs the base chakra, which is the yoni, um, as well as the anus, is the wild woman. You might know her as Medusa the Gorgon or as Lilith in the Hebraic culture, um, you know, who got was the serpent in the Bible, the serpent goddess of Kundalini, Kund which is where we get cunt from, you know, it's about awakening our serpent power, our dragon power, which is the power within the earth, the bioelectricity of the earth. And when we bring this power up through us, we increase our life force. So we have more longevity, 
more uh, youthfulness, more creativity, more libido and more awareness, more consciousness. And this is why the empires put a lid on mysticism, the mysteries of the feminine, because it awakened the consciousness, but it starts in the yoni, it starts in the base. So a more that a woman self-pleasures as a practice, as a sacred practice for her own rejuvenation, for her own healing, catalyzing big emotional releases, for her own, um, you know, activation of power, connecting to Gaia, to the, the root, primal power source of the feminine the more she does that the more she awakens her shakti her goddess mojo and you can tell a woman walking down the street if she's activated her mojo yeah she's got this aura about her of liberation not just erotic liberation, but the ability to speak her truth, to know her own mind, to be authentic and spontaneous, regardless of how high the stakes or the company. So this is an untamable force of nature. So, you know, a woman that has not um, been initiated into the mysteries, has not questioned and reframed the conditioning that she's received, feels like a little girl who doesn't know what to do with this curious thing between her legs, you know. So in a way she's trying to push back time and appear more girl-like, yeah, so that, you know, daddy will love her, projecting all her unconscious father issues onto her partner. And you see girls that are uninitiated often wearing little baby doll 90s, um, a pinafore sort of style dresses, you know, they're trying to look cute. And it's, it's you know, a sign that Eve or the inner maiden, the girl is driving the psyche, is driving the bus, not the emancipated woman who has activated her kunda, her kundalini, and awakened the power of her yoni. Yeah, wow. And do you think it's because there's a lot of fear as well? Like that same fear of the power of the yoni has bled into how women feel about their own bodies and their own power? Like it's just a little bit too like, oh, my God, fuck, that's scary. Excuse this unseemly interruption, my darlings. I must ask a wee little favor of you. I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings make it more likely to get recognized by the algorithmic gods and suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel pretty good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. Now, I promise I don't maz over them or anything like that. I mostly just read them out to Locke with a big grin on my face and he says something like, see, you're killing it. Proud of you, babe. And then I tuck it away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed. So, you know, doing this really does make a difference and is an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Well, now, that would be kind of crazy. 
crazy awesome, obviously. Like that would be super ideal. Would love that. If you're writing a review though, just be sure to only use G-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality and all that good stuff, the platforms censor words like sex and won't actually show your review. Lame. Anyway, oh, 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 you're going to do it right now while I wait? Oh, yeah. No, no. Awesome. Great. That's like, yeah, great idea. May as well just like quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, forget or whatever. I mean, life just kind of gets in the way sometimes. So I totally agree. It would be best to just do it now while we're talking about it, you know, while, while we're on the topic. Totally, totally, totally. Yep. Oh, Oh, I can feel those five-star reviews rolling in. Mm, fuck yeah. All right, all right. Well, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem, and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Love ya. Yeah, well, it's um, – I don't think uninitiated women even make the connection. There's fear there. It's more repulsion. Um, you know, they see it as dirty because – um, everything in their cultural conditioning has led them to believe that it's unacceptable. Mm. So when we go into the supermarket and we see douching products, the message is your natural smell is hideous. You should smell like, you know, one of those horrible toxic chemical products you put in a toilet, which is carcinogenic. You know, it's all a distortion telling us that's fresh. No, that's toxic, mm. you know, or that you should, when you go into a department store, you should cover your natural scent with chemical um, man-made perfumes that tells us that, you know, our our smell, I mean, that's the, the, the number one thing that attracts or repels us to a potential partner. So we don't want to mask that or we can end up, you know, and the pill also changes that um, with somebody that, you know, we're not instinctually on an animal level attracted to. Then there's the taste. You know, if a woman hasn't tasted her amrita, her sexual fluid, to actually go, oh, that's what it tastes like. It's very hard to allow a lover to totally, um, you know, devour Mm. them like the most delectable supper that they are. (laughs) And the same with tasting your blood. Do you know? It's Mm. like go, oh, it's really, I can taste the iron, you Mm. know. It's really like grounded and, and earthy and and smell the blood and, you know, so just getting a mirror and looking at the yoni and maybe um, drawing the yoni, it's starting to confront how do I feel about what it is between my legs that everything in my conditioning has told me is unmentionable, unsightly and unacceptable, not in overt ways but in covert ways. Mm. through it never being discussed and through the messages that we receive being, um, you know, that really you you need to create a designer pussy, you Mm. know, you need to mutilate it in order for it to be acceptable. Mm. 
Yeah. Oh my God. This stuff, this stuff keeps me up at night. Like this is the stuff I'm having conversations about daily and trying to educate my clients on. And yeah, like loved that you mentioned tasting your pussy juice, you know, like even that, like I used to be one of these like horror, like I was horrified of my body. I was horrified of genitals. I was completely uninitiated. I totally bought into all of the stuff about, you know, how I needed to be plucked and shaved and smell nice and all the things. And, and I still wouldn't let anyone touch me or go anywhere near that part of my body. Cause I was just totally, yeah, totally, uh, repulsed by my own body, super self-conscious, um, just felt hideous and couldn't actually be present during intimacy. So I sort of just like shirked that whole side of myself for years, which is kind of how I wound up in this work eventually. Um, but yeah, that, that simple little thing of like, just actually taste it. It's not going to be as bad as you think. You know, I would never let anyone go down on me. Um, years ago, I was just horrified at the thought of it. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to smell like? What am I going to taste like? That's disgusting. They're going to think I'm just yuck. And, um, and it actually really helped me. I mean, it took a lot of time to work up to me actually tasting myself. But when I finally did, I was like, oh, oh, that's, okay, that's not what I expected. That's not, that's not so bad, you know? And then I could kind of put myself in the guy's shoes and be like, oh, right. All right. Well, yeah. So it's, it's a handy little tool. I think it definitely grosses some people out still for sure. Um, but yeah, if, listeners, if you haven't, if you haven't tasted your, your, uh, pussy juice yet, your Amrita, then just give it a little try. It'll probably taste, um, a little bit lemony, a little bit acidic. Um, but this, yeah, all of this stuff that you're sort of speaking about and how we're being, um, you know, we're getting sent all of these messages about how we should be and what our pussies need to look like and smell like and blah, blah, blah. All of that kind of leads me into um, the segment Get Pregnant and Die. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? Um, because we just, yeah, we just get such a dismal sex education. Um, and I'd love to hear if you have any stories or anecdotes from your sex education or, um, you know, p- perhaps something that you wished you'd learned more about, maybe how your sex education failed you. Um, yeah, do you have any anecdotes for us in that category? Yeah, I can. I'd just like to add to that conversation that, yeah. you know, if women want to uh, attract a mate to put a little bit of Amrita, their sexual fluid, their yoni juice behind their ears as you would dab perfume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair so that, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you can also anoint yourself with that, you know, on your third eye, on your heart, you know, and anoint your beloved. Um, the ancient tantrics and, in fact, all Indigenous societies honoured the fluids of the body for their alchemical uh, properties, you know, the blood, the semen, the amrita. Um, and so, you know, again, part of the shaming of them is so we would disconnect from their power and be magically ignorant mm. so that magic could be used as a force against us, you know, mm-hmm. which is what's occurred on the planet. Mm. But to answer your question about how my sexual education failed me, 
I used to seek out my mum's copy of Every Woman and Masturbate to the uh, diagrams in that when I was, you know, <laughs> I don't know how old was I, maybe 11 or 12 or something. But um, I remember one of my first partners, a beautiful Italian man who was 12 years older than me, teaching me about the anatomy of my yoni. I, oh. No one had told me, you know, yeah, and... Because I think our our um, grade eight science class um, that dealt with the anatomy was hijacked when one of the young girls up the back of the class asked about her Virginia, you know, and the whole <laughs> class dissolved and we never got back on track. <laughs> so, um, you know, the the the, the biggest uh, issue to quote Kath from Kath and Kim <laughs> is that. It's clinical, you know. It's like probing around in a bug catcher. It's mm. only looking at our sexuality from a three D perspective, mm. from the lower three energy centers. In other words, from exoteric science, that which you can only perceive through the five earthly senses, and it completely omits viewing sexuality from the viewpoint of esoteric science, which is understanding it through the subtle senses, the higher chakras or energy centres. And even those that study sexology, it's not covered at all in the syllabus because all of the educational tertiary institutions are all part of the system, part of the empire, and which elevates exoteric science and minimizes esoteric science. Mm. So, you know, Tantra, today there's so much distortion about what Tantra is and, you know, um, yeah, don't get me started. But, um, (laughs) you know, understanding that sexuality um, is not about how physically um, attractive we we might see ourselves or aspire to be, but it's about the energetic and soul connection. So the more um, we awaken that kundalini, the inner serpents of light, which are the meridians of sacred feminine, sacred masculine energy, which run from the base energy centre in the coccyx, the base of the spine up to the crown. If we activate those through initiation, through meeting the seven faces of the God and the goddess within that govern those seven energy centres, we awaken those inner cobras of light. Then when we lie with a lover or lay with a lover, who has also awakened those seven gates, then sex becomes transcendent, multidimensional, um, and you're literally um, connecting on every level. You know, it's not just physical. It's not just an aerobics class. It's not just the rubbing together of two sticks and nerve endings in the genitals. You know, you're connecting physically, emotionally, mentally, at the feeling level, at the uh, level of ether, which is healing, at the level of the third eye, which is surfing the inner galaxies together, and then at the crown. 
And this is getting back to the ancient practice of the heros gamos, which meant sacred union when couples would come together and lay on the earth where the ley lines, so the dragon lines of Kundalini in the earth, where they intercepted during the uh, seasonal vortices such as Halloween or, you know, the equinoxes, the solstices, and they would make love as conduits for anchoring heaven on earth using their bodies as magical wands. And that is how we will restore (laughs) the health of our planet, you know. So our view of sexuality is akin to kindergarten, you know, and and it's all about ego seduction and how big is my cock and, you know, I mean, really, we're really missing the point. Mm. Can you imagine if they if they actually taught that stuff in like a high school sex ed class? I just oh god, we're so far from it. I can't even imagine how that would how that would go. If someone came in and tried to teach me about I don't know the chakras or Kundalini energy when I was a teenager, there's no fucking way. Like I feel like it needs to be from birth, basically, that you're sort of learning to understand those sorts of concepts. Because oh my goodness, like. It just wouldn't even fly in a in a school right now, you know. Um, it would be too far, too big of a gap to bridge, because we just have no foundation or basis of like knowledge or understanding of those sorts of things, you know. I mean, I I definitely didn't. I don't really have any connection to my like heritage or any like culture. I was just totally untethered from any roots like that. Any any foundation of like, yeah, I guess reverence for those sorts of things. So it just, yeah, it's quite sad really. Um, and I agree with you. We're pretty, pretty, um, pretty much still in kindergarten there, but working on it. There's people like you and I that are. <laughs> this is a powerful time to be on the planet because we're all remembering, mm. you know, and we're reawakening these suppressed ancient uh, knowings and practices. Mm. Yeah. So um you know i think it's it's great that so many people are unschooling their children you mm. know so they're not fully indoctrinated into the institutions yeah. of the empire you know which dumbs us down mm. um you know this idea that the more academic someone is the smarter they are it's actually the opposite it's more they've swallowed the pill and they're you know um taking on that way of thinking as as a limitation rather than expanding their consciousness mm. you know the ancient universities were the mystery schools because it was understood once you awakened your kundalini you then had complete direct access to the quantum field of infinite intelligence and via your intuition if you had a question you just ask and you download intuitively the answer rather than being you know, told what to think through knowledge, through books. So, yes, this is why our sexuality, I mean, it's the key to our evolution and why it's been so targeted and um, misrepresented and distorted. Mm. Yeah, totally. Do you find it hard to find um, sexual partners that are kind of on that same level and, and have the same take on, I mean, I guess you'd just, 
go to some tantra workshops or something and find some find some like awake men but do you do you find it's a little bit tricky like say, i don't know what your um relationship status is but yeah i definitely feel like once you kind of get get a bit interested in seeing sex as not just that physical you know what what we're all sort of taught and modeled it's actually it gets harder and harder and harder to meet uh, like I'm hetero, so to meet a man who is kind of interested in sort of delving into those depths and exploring sex from that angle? Yeah, great question. So, and that has been my experience. Let's just say I've got a PhD in self-pleasuring. Um, <laughs> and, that, you know, I invoke the God by his different aspects yeah, whether it's Pan, whether it's Yeshua. Um, and I also go into multi-orgasmic states through ecstatic practices. So, for instance, devotional chanting, kirtan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last time I went to a, a kirtan, the, when you open your devotional heart, um, the energy just, you know, once you've awakened your kundalini, it just, it, it's like plugging into a socket. It, it just, you know, activates you and moves through you. And so I had this huge grief come up because it was just post the floods and I'd lost mm. everything. And um, But once the grief was out, I went into an orgasm that was so powerful. I looked like I was riding the mechanical bull. I was holding <laughs> the chair and writhing and there's 200 people in this hall and I'm louder than the amplified band and <laughs> watching me as the energy is just moving through me. So, But likewise, I'll have that experience doing breath work, doing um, dance, um, not dance on a nightclub floor, but, you know, going to mm. a shamanic dance session such as open floor or five rhythms because it's energetic. It's not physical. So I feel, um, you know, what would you say? I'm feeling fulfilled, you know, and I look younger than my years because I am such an orgasmic being, but no, I have never been fully met sexually by a man in this incarnation. And I'm very discerning about who I open my temple to because all of the 73,000 electrical highways in our light body called nadis become enmeshed with whomever we accept into our temple. So, you know, and it's said that there's seven years of karma imprinted upon you from each lover. So I'm very aware of the energetic repercussions of who I choose to, to lay with. And because I'm so able to self-fulfill myself, I have a chapter in my sacred union book on how to self-pleasure like a holy hermaphrodite. <laughs> um, I, I'm not... Do you know what I mean? I'm not sort of like, come on, baby, light my fire. I don't mm. need a man yeah. to fulfil me sexually, which isn't to say I'm not open to being receptive and magnetising somebody who embodies the archetypal energy of the high priest king, the multifaceted God. And I believe in this lifetime that 
that level of holy couple unions, the beloveds coming together, is going to be more possible than it has in 12,000 years. So it's worth the wait, you know. It's worth being discerning rather than allowing your body to be used as a fun park or lying with somebody that doesn't open every door internally within you, you you know. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, I saw on Oprah years ago they were instructing mothers to remove the taboo of self-pleasure for their daughters on the understanding that if girls could be truly orgasmic with themselves, you know, they'd be less likely to compromise and um, choose sexual partners that didn't really honour them at all seven gates, you know, seven different archetypal energies. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. There's a stigma with being single in our patriarchal culture, but to be sovereign, to be discerning is an act of empowerment. Mm, Beautiful. Love that. Fuck yeah, sister. Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can also buy some dope merch from my website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep. You heard that right. I even have labia lounge babies or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. Or if fashion isn't your passion, you can donate to my buy me a coffee donation page, which I actually call buy me a sweet chai latte because I'll be the first to admit I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. Um, So you can do a once off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. Every bit helps because it's not cheap to put out a sweet podcast into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me financially in this way. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself, which is at this early stage in double L history, just the spare bedroom at my house. <laughs> anyway, I'll pop the links in the show notes later. Um, so uh, sort of related to that now, I know you've got some really great like insights and perspectives about how um, I guess what we were talking about before with like the fear of Yoni and the fear of the dark feminine and big pussy energy, um, it undermines male-female relating. Um, so I'd really love it if you could kind of go into that for us a little bit because I feel like I feel like it's something that's going on everywhere under the surface without many people even being aware of it or thinking about it, um, like myself included. Like I don't really think about that so much day to day. So I'd love it if you could shed some light on how this fear is impacting our relationships. Yeah. So, okay. Um, The majority of boys these days are initiated into sexuality through pornography and porn teaches boys how to be bad lovers. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's all centred on their gratification, Mm. not on teaching them the art of lovemaking, which is how, you know, boys were initiated into sexuality in the ancient world before the rise of the empires, before patriarchy. So they were taught by priestess women how to... Um, make love to a woman's instrument, her yantra, you know. 
And, and that is on the understanding of these seven energy levels and the seven different aspects or faces of the goddess within every woman. So, um, you know, if they're not taught how to play an instrument, of course they play an instrument badly. It's like if you <laughs> pick up a guitar and you've never had a lesson, it's not going to make a great sound. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the elephant in the room is um, men aren't, for the most part, they're not great lovers because they've never received appropriate instruction. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the addiction to pornography comes from men not feeling empowered erotically and having a fear of not being able to fulfil a woman, not being able to make her happy, which has its roots in the mother complex, which I speak about in my grail book, and I won't get into that Pandora's box here. But <laughs> suffice to say they, they find it hard to receive feedback or instruction from a woman without taking it personally yeah and that that means women are sort of less inclined to say honey would you mind just touching me a bit more in this way rather than that way you know because Mm -hmm. of this you know the male ego so then we have you know women faking orgasms and and um you know so Mm. When you get women on their own in women's only spaces with women that are empowered enough to be authentic and speak their truth from the heart, women are saying that they're not feeling sexually fulfilled, you know, that they're, um, you know, finding they can orgasm more when they're on their own, self-pleasuring than they can perhaps with their partners. So, you know, it's important that we um, acknowledge this. Houston, we have a problem. Rather than <laughs> women keep um, accommodating the issue in ways that are dishonouring to them, i.e. faking orgasms. I've never faked an orgasm in my life on principle. Mm. It's like, no. But, you know, that isn't to say it's all men's fault. So many women are so in their heads that they can't, get into their body they can't actually connect with the sensations and allow the waves of pleasure to take them deeper and deeper to the inner landscapes of their psyche and let go and experience complete surrender now that one of the reasons why is if we don't feel safe not just physically but emotionally psychologically and energetically we cannot completely open and surrender to the moment for fear of what noise we might make whether that's from you know fanny fart or from a guttural (laughs) noise coming out of our mouth or do you know what I mean if we can't if we don't feel really safe Mm. we can't let go yeah which is why love is the greatest aphrodisiac so hooking up on tinder you're not going to have the greatest sex of your life because that's going to come from feeling so safe and so cherished and so adored mm. that you open from within like a flower, mm. yeah? And, I mean, the the yoni takes 45 minutes of being worshipped to fully become engorged, which is what 
gives that man a feeling of being really snug. Yeah, when when she's so fat <laughs> and engorged with blood, right, that she's holding him like this svelte glove, mm. yeah? yeah? So, you know, in Hollywood Im- imagery, we always see the, the rushed sex act, yeah, mm. where they're like ripping each other's Ugh. clothes off and he's, kills me. <laughs> he's in without any foreplay again. We're teaching men to be bad lovers and that mm. that's what gets a woman off. So, um, and again, I speak about this in my Sacred Union book about the need for oral worship. So, and this goes both ways. And again, regardless of your gender identity and preference, we want to get down and bow to the sacred sexual power of our beloved, of their base chakra, of their animal self, because we've been taught to shame our animal self. You know, we're half star being and half animal. That's just the nature of what the humanoid is. So we've got to, to heal that shame, we've got to worship the, the animalistic instinctual self by worshipping the genitals. And, you know, I once had a partner that he used to, um, you know, give cunnilingus with the mantra, the power of the pussy. He used to say that internally, telepathically mm-hmm. to himself as he was licking my vulva. To, through that repetition, take him into a spiral energetically into an altered state of devotional worship. Wow. So, you know, if we're in a state of worship, the body opens and responds. Every cell in the body has an intelligence. It knows in a millionth of a second the energy with which it's being touched. If you're being touched with pure love, or if you're being touched with somebody who is in it for themselves. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've got to do this to just get you wet enough to get myself in. Yeah. Right? Mm. So the body knows, okay? And so the more our lover is pure in their intention of I adore you, I know how lucky and grateful I am to have the privilege of touching your temple. Mm. and of experiencing your deepest uh, intimate self, touching your soul. If we think about the vulva, it's like the innermost core of a rose. To be allowed to touch that is the greatest privilege. Mm. So through that education, it's an education of understanding of uh, what it is to truly make love to another vessel, another being, rather than just perceiving ourselves as, you know, physical. Mm. Oh, my God, loved all of that. Um, that's the kind of shit I'm constantly talking about as well. I'm actually filming um, 
filming content for my online course at the moment and a whole heap of what you just spoke about. I, I was just filming a video on yesterday. Love, love the mention of the, um, you know, our erectile tissue, like puffing up and getting all fat and thick. And, um, you know, I kind of liken it to the way that it's placed, you know, in, in the vagina and underneath the vulva, like it, it's kind of a bit like a, um, you know, one of those blood pressure cuffs that the doctor would put on your arm and then he'd puff it up and it would yes. squeeze your arm that's what's happening you know you don't need a tight pussy you just need to be really fucking turned on and then it will hug that dick (laughs) absolutely and you know post um delivery of a baby it was always customary for the doctor to just stitch her up a bit more than she was in the, the the husband stitch right yeah and, I mean, in uh, cultures they often do yoni smoking as well to try and tighten up um, the, the, the labia. But, again, it comes down to how aroused a woman is. If you sincerely want to gift a woman pleasure, she will become like a storm Mm. that is insatiable in giving you pleasure. Do you know what I mean? So it's like we don't have to be in this sort of tit for tat, like, Mm. okay, you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. No, just humble your ego and give from the heart. Give for all that you are to your lover, knowing how lucky you are to be able to share this moment with them and then you will experience a thousandfold whatever pleasure you've given to them. Mm, Yeah, beautiful. Oh, love it. Uh, I'm just going to interject for the segment TMI. We love it though. Because I'm itching to... um, get a TMI story out of you. I know you've got the goods. I know you love talking about the taboo. Um, most of what we've been speaking about is generally pretty TMI. So, yeah, do you have a, another little anecdote or story that would usually be considered something that, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't be approved of for a public conversation? <laughs> yes, talk to me any other day. Um, so, yeah, just one from uh, this last week. I was driving to a, um, a fire ceremony, a Hindu fire ceremony, and as I'm driving there, I was on my moon, so I was bleeding and not realising my, my friend hadn't said to me, you know, like, like a sweat lodge, if you're on your moon, you shouldn't be going to a fire ceremony because that's about raising power. And when you're Mm. bleeding, the blood is spiraling down into the earth. So you're going deep within, you know, it's, it's a different spiral, a different trajectory. So, um, but anyway, I'm driving to the ceremony and my intuition says to me, dab your blood on your third eye to make the bindu. So today we, you know, put sticker bindis on that look like diamonds. That comes from this ancient um, Hindu tantrika tradition where what was given to me as a download, women would mark with their sacred blood, their grail, 
um, on their third eye to, to let people know I'm at my most sacred time of the month when my I'm in an altered state, I'm closest to God, I'm deep within, to sort of let them know to be more sensitive around you, you know. And this then got appropriated into, oh, it's only married women that have the red dot that have social status in society and all this kind of uh. Mm. So anyway, I get to the (laughs) ceremony and I'm like, um, look, this might be considered taboo for you all, but um, getting I need to put my my menses, my grail on my third eye as the bindu, you know, and, um, yeah, bless them. They didn't, you know, didn't have a a huge reaction to that. I did did go into the bathroom rather than just stick my finger in me in front of all of them. I thought (laughs) that could be a bit much for them. But um, And then the, the priest still insisted on putting some of the red, you know, powder on mm-hmm. but um they kind of they kind of just let it hang in the air no one responded to my request it was like I think they couldn't even process it do, yeah. do you know it was too far out of the realm of <laughs> yeah. what you know <gasps> um yeah. but you know it's just us following us our our intuition and remembering and honoring the sacred power of our bodies and the sacred our chemical power of the fluids of our bodies mm. and um the more we do that we honor ourselves as divine vessels the more we awaken our sacred uh erotic power mm. yeah love it so yeah, by the end of the ceremony, he was um, he was saying to people, "Let's." He was trying to move a coconut using telekinesis. Oh, so trying to you know use the power of his will mm. to prove his shakti, in other words, his goddess Kundalini, <laughs> okay. and he couldn't move he couldn't move the coconut. But meanwhile, I'm sitting there on the ground having these huge kriyas. So for the listeners that don't know what a kriya is, it's when you experience a huge rush of energy, usually from the base right up to the crown, but sometimes it can happen just with or, or, or originate within a, a specific chakra, but it's a, a like a, a jolt, like uh, electricity, and it feels great, but it looks a bit like Tourette's, it looks a bit like a tick, you know. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, it's Shakti. So the more you raise your, your dragon power, your serpent power, which is why the Magdalens were called dragon women. And, again, men in the Grail tradition had to go seek the dragon to be considered fit for marriage. They had to go face their fear of the dark feminine by being initiated by a dragon woman. So, you know, without this initiation, we have men... Not, not knowing what they don't know and so they dishonour the feminine, mm. not because they want to but because they haven't received initiation, which is why I'm so passionate about reinstating these ancient initiations for men and women into the grail mm. tradition, the ancient religion of love. Yeah, beautiful. That kind of leads me into my next question, which is like what can we do? Like, what do we do about all this? What can we do to heal the fear? Um, I'd love to just like wrap up the episode with a little bit of like hope and a little bit of uh, 
I don't, I don't know if you'd even say strategy, but like some action steps maybe or yeah. some, yeah, like what do we do about it? <laughs> yeah, where to from here? Mm. So great question. So um, for your listeners, um, I've got a series called Initiation and it's a three-part video masterclass series the first one is the sacred power of blood. The second one is the sacred power of sex. And the third one is the sacred power of death. And that is because these are the three taboos, which comes from the Polynesian word tapua, meaning sacred power. In other words, in our lifetime, life initiates us through an experience of blood, which is for girls their first period, for boys it used to be when their foreskin would break before they were circumcised by the empires Mm. in their first sex act. So the blood says, hey, you're not a child anymore. Yeah, I've got the power to create life. I'm being initiated into the wheel of death and rebirth. Mm. Uh, Sex is another one. Death is another one. So when we're initiated into these three experiences, it takes our psyche down into the underworld. And if we don't receive mystic insights to reframe these experiences from a sacred perspective, our relationship with sex, blood and death becomes distorted, becomes destructive. Mm. So um, that receiving that information is an initiation. So watching those three uh, videos and, and your listeners can get 50% off um, watching those on my website and um, if they use the code Labia Lounge and um, hopefully you can put a, a, yeah, a put link, a link. With this episode for those yeah. who want to redeem that. Yeah. Um, but you're welcome. Then the next step would be, to seek out initiation through um, an initiation path, whether that's um, there are are many different paths, but, um, you know, the first one usually is uh, a a grail initiation for men called the, the descent of Orpheus. For women, it's the descent of Ishtar. And it's meeting those seven feminine and masculine selves that govern the seven energy centres and awaken that kundalini, that serpent of light, that um, shakti or shiva energy up through the spine, um, which is, you know, your libido, let's face it. Mm. So, um, and I offer that as online courses, which I personally facilitate with, um, you know, uh, live calls and there's coursework mm. people do that are practices that align with the natural cycles. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, there's there's other pathways after that. But mm. the, the latest book that I've written, The Grail, gives an overview of all those initiations mm. and also reframes how we see the dark feminine so that because the yoni is the face of the dark feminine. Mm, yeah. yeah so if we fear the power of the yoni we fear the dark feminine whether we know her as kali ma in the indian tradition or sekhmet in the egyptian or medusa in the greek or lilith in the um 
Hebraic or Oya in the African, she's all one and the same. She is the serpent goddess of Kundalini, the one who has serpents for hair, the one who will call you out on your unconscious thoughts, words and actions, the one that will upset the apple cart and only by embracing her within our own lives, our own psyche, will we attract a partner who doesn't fear the dark feminine in us but embraces it. And Jung said that no marriage that couldn't honour the dark feminine, Lilith, would, would survive. So unless we can honour that aspect, then we're going to see the divorce rate, which is now at 50%, continue to climb. Or people stay in relationships out of a fear of being alone, which are dishonouring, codependent Mm. relationships, relationships where they don't have a kind word to say to each other. So, Mm. you know, we need initiation. We need to be in right relationship with our fears, with our taboos, in order to be in right relationship with ourselves and each other. Yeah, beautiful. I think something that I um, see as being a really uh, powerful and practical kind of thing that we can do to start, I guess, like breaking breaking the cycle of stigma and fear and shame around the feminine and like just bringing a bit more ritual and sacredness into the way we relate to the feminine is like not just reparenting ourselves and kind of doing our own healing, but passing down these like different attitudes to our children to like that's something that I see I'm like well I can do so much for myself and I haven't even had kids yet but I'm like I can do all this work myself for sure but you know there's still going to be like these little hooks and little like underlying patterns or beliefs or tiny chips of my conditioning that still remain no matter I will just keep doing this work my whole life of course but I really I love the idea that I actually will get to break that cycle with my own children and not, not pass down the same like conditioning and beliefs and attitudes to them and be like super, super, super intentional about how I talk about, you know, femininity and gender and periods and bring ritual and kind of ceremony into it and have period parties and just really like really change that whole narrative for them so that you know of course they're still going to go go out into the world and like cop all of the different you know layers of shame and socialization that is pretty much unavoidable unless I just like move to the country and homeschool them and never let them speak to anyone else and they just become like super weird weird little hermit people um so you know it's it's kind of unavoidable that they're going to be getting like other uh influences and messages but like i me and my partner my partner and i sorry there's my snobby uh upbringing (laughs) coming in there like oh that's not grammatically correct um yeah my partner and i like already are talking about you know, the different little things that we can do in the home once we've got children um, to instill different beliefs and values and the sorts of stories that we can tell them at bedtime and how that will change how they see the feminine and treat themselves or treat women. Like, yeah, I just think um, in terms of like something that makes me feel like, oh, there is a bit of hope. It's like, all right, how am I going to 
how am I going to break the cycle with my own children and and parent them in a way that they're not going to wind up having to do like 10 years of fucking self-development work around their sexuality like I did, you know? Yeah, look, fortunately there is a global movement, you know, that started in the 60s and it's it's gaining and gaining and gaining, mm. you know, the, um, the red tent movement um, and, again, I've got an online course that, teaches women how to reframe menstruation. Uh, so, for instance, my daughter saw me pouring my blood on my plants mm. with a giveaway chant every month um, and would come out and want to sing the chant with me, Aww. you know, as a three-year-old. So it's about modelling, yeah. you, you know, and referring to it as my moon or I've got my moon. Um, and so you're teaching them this is you know, the time of the cycle where I don't cook because I've got less energy, I'm losing life force, so we get takeout or we um, have, you know, thaw out the excess food that I've frozen the rest of the month for that downtime. So you're just educating not just your daughters but your sons about the fact that we are cyclic. We're cyclic sentient beings. We're not machines that run 24-7 according to linear Gregorian calendars. We have an up cycle and we have a down cycle. And the more that, um, you know, our daughters are initiated when they start cycling with the moon, that is the first step in helping them to honour their their bodies as temples. So we don't go straight into teaching children or or, uh, pubescent kids about sexuality. We start with, you know, uh, initiating them into their womanhood or into their their um, uh, their manhood, and then after that comes the next initiation because that's enough to get your head around. You know, <laughs> if girls haven't integrated menstruation, you know they're not going to be able to then deal with the next subsequent blood rite, which is the breaking of the hymen their sexual initiation. So it's 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 got to be incremental. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um I've gotten I've got an episode on sex positive parenting as well actually. It's one of the first ones I did. So listeners, feel free to go back and listen to that one. Um but yeah, we've covered so much so much stuff today. I'm really grateful for your time and your thoughts and your knowledge. Oh my god, so knowledgeable. I can't believe your memory can just retain all of that. I guess you've I guess you've written books and really <laughs> this is your this is your wheelhouse. Um but yeah, really grateful for you sharing all of that knowledge and um yeah being such a great storyteller thank you oh thanks yeah well it's it's what I'm passionate about yeah for everybody out there we've all got our area of genius and you know this is a time when we're each being asked to really tap into that which we're most passionate about and share our genius with the world. So mm. thank you for seeing and appreciating mine. Mm, beautiful. All right, my loves, that's it for this episode. So I will see you all next week. And that's it, darling hearts.
Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT, and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.